This is the Agile Business Athlete Show, a well-being podcast that shows you how to beat burnout and have more fun. In each episode, Leanne will be joined by special guests who will share their secrets of how they stay healthy and energized and the simple steps they take to prioritize good health. And if they can do it, so can you. And now over to your host, Leanne Spencer. So it's great pleasure to welcome Alexandra Rock to the podcast. Um, Alex is my nutritionist, has done some great work with me on perimenopause and supplementation, testing, foods to include to, to minimize the symptoms of that. Has also done a lot of work with me on with clients, uh, one-to-ones where individuals can book in and and chat through their questions about nutritional therapy. Um, so it's it's with great pleasure that I welcome you to the show. Thank you, Leanne. It's lovely to see you looking so good and well. <laughs> well, thank you. Listeners will have to take your word for that. Um, <laughs> I do feel well though, and that's in some some part to to the work that we've been doing together. Let's talk about food. Um, before we go into the nitty gritty of food for mood and energy, you know, what is food? It's, it's not just energy, is it? Well, what does it mean to you? So I think food means a lot to me and in, in, a lot of different things to me, really. I think one of the very important things about food is that it, it should be something about joy and feeding the soul as well as the body. So food is about sharing, sharing with your family, sharing with your friends, um, sitting down to, to, to enjoy what you eat, I think is a very important part of, um, of nutrition and, and one that is sometimes overlooked. Uh, the second thing for me is, is if using food really to, to care for yourself in the same way as if you had a lovely car or a boat, you would look after that that amazing machine and our bodies are incredible machines and of course to work properly we really need to put the nutrients uh, into our bodies that facilitate our metabolism and allow it to work in the way that is intended and I think the more that I have learned about nutrition the more I have really wanted to not only eat things that I love and that are delicious but also things that actually really do um, benefit my my well being. When I was much younger, you know, I would tuck away at Sir Christ and confectionery, which of course does taste good, without really thinking, quite mindlessly. But now I have a much more mindful approach to eating. And whereas I'll have a treat, I'll have a slice of kind of naughty birthday cake on on a friend's birthday or something. I'll still do that because that's joyful. I find that. My regular eating are things that I know are going to support me and make me feel good, um, you know, not just in the moment that I eat it, but actually <laughs> in the days and the, the, the months ahead. Uh, so those are two things. And uh, as a young child, I witnessed firsthand the power of nutrition, which I think is why I decided to study nutrition. Uh, my father, who was a doctor himself, uh, a quite a, a stressed doctor who used to work in uh, disaster and war zones, he had a very bad diet um, of eating convenience food, very fattening food. He, he was very overweight at one point, probably at least a couple of stone, maybe two or three stone overweight. He was a smoker as well. <laughs> this is a pretty classic picture of a doctor for the World Health Organization mm-hmm. in the 1960s and 70s. <laughs> and, and no surprises, really. Um, you know, somebody said to me the other day, if you eat the standard American diet, you get the standard American diseases. And he yep. did. You know, really sadly, he had a heart attack, which he survived. 
And then he put his sort of um, medical brain to trying to solve the problem. And he changed his diet entirely. He, he, he was very influenced at that time by macrobiotic diet, which is something from Japan. Yeah. Um, but it, when you, sorry to cut in. When you say problem, do you mean heart disease? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Okay. Heart sorry, disease. go on. Yes, because he survived the heart attack, but he had obstructed arteries. So he had some surgery. But after that, he realized that if he carried on the lifestyle that he had, you know, the problem would just reoccur. Um, and, uh, and, you know, he was given a very bad prognosis by the cardiologist who said, if you carry on like this, you, you know, you're, you're not going to live into your fifties. So he changed his diet dramatically. I, I believe he lost all the weight, the extra weight that he was carrying, the two or three stone. He ate mainly a vegetable diet. He was quite influenced by something called a macrobiotic diet, which is of a Japanese origin, but it was primarily um, plant-based. Uh, he was very, very careful uh, with what he ate. And he lived another 30 years and he died in his early 80s of something you know, unrelated to heart disease. So for me as a teenager growing up, you know, I saw the, the power of what you eat to either make you sick or to make you well. And um, that's been really formative, I think, in the way that I eat and the way that I brought my children up to eat. And I would advise my friends and my clients to eat too. Mm. So before we go into some of the questions that we talked about ahead, uh, you've mentioned plant-based diet. What are some of the of the science around plant-based eating? Well, plants, I like to look at our history, really. If, you know, human beings have been on the planet uh, for thousands of years and we didn't get here by mistake, you know, by accident. We ate the right things. So if you look back to the sort of diet of um paleo man and man through throughout history primarily it was a plant-based diet they would also be hunter-gatherers so they they weren't necessarily vegetarians or vegans they would eat some animal um, uh, derived foods as well but primarily they were eating plants nuts seeds fruits or all things derived from the plant kingdom and and plants just contain you know I, I love the expression that we're all solar powered so you know the plant oh, I love that yeah, yeah. so good isn't love it? it the plants sort of gather the energy from the sun and through this miraculous process of photosynthesis and that's how they create you know the carbohydrates they're fueled and that's how they grow and then we eat them and we gather that energy you know that that life force that's in the plants so plants can literally contain energy uh, wrapped up in sort of carbohydrates they also contain protein and they contain fats and these are the three macronutrient groups which are vital for 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 us to live um, in addition to the sort of basic building blocks, they contain other really important um, constituents such as fiber. So fiber is really the part of a plant that you don't digest. It goes through your gut. Um, bacteria in your gut may digest it. For every sort of 24 hours, about four minutes of our energy is powered by energy that's actually um, got out of the, the fiber by the bacteria in our gut. Um, but fiber is really important for the health of our digestive systems as well. If we don't have fiber, we don't digest 
and assimilate food so well. And and the Western diet is very, very lacking in fiber. Mm. Um, also, what, are, what are some of those sources of fiber? So there are, there, there are two really categories. There's water-soluble sort of um, fiber and there's non-water-soluble um, fiber. So um, uh, fruits and vegetables such as apples and pears and broccoli and lettuce and celery. You can, you can see the celery. When you eat celery, you get, the, the fiber gets stuck in your teeth. <laughs> so you, you, know, yeah. you know it's there. Yeah. Those are really important. Um, oat, oatmeal is a very good source of soluble fiber, which helps also to keep cholesterol out of being absorbed by your body. Um, so those are all water-soluble. And then there are others um, that are not water-soluble, but that are, that are very, very important as well, like in nuts and seeds. Um, you know, there are fibrous bits. And that all helps tremendously with digestion. And it also feeds the bacteria that are in our guts, which make up our microbiome, which for a huge amount of reasons are very, very important. They, mm. they prime our immune system. They help the breakdown of foods. Um, they they um, help the excretion of hormones. They're very important. So fiber from all sources is, is super important. And we get that really by eating a really good um, amount of, of fruit and vegetables and plant mm. matters. Also, one of the ways that, sorry to cut in again, one of the ways I, I just think the question might be in listeners' mouths, you know, how do I get more of that in perhaps? Um, mm. We'll come to that perhaps later in the conversation, but I would say that one of the ways I've managed to get more fiber in and more fruit and veg with particularly veg uh, is via a daily smoothie. So mm. I put in my own personal recipes, some frozen spinach, frozen blueberries, frozen strawberries, and then a fresh banana, uh, although that could also be frozen. Then I put some nuts in, some flax seeds, uh, ground, because that's a good phytoestrogen, as I understand it, good for perimenopause. Uh, see, I was listening. And, uh, and then I put in 50 grams of Vivo Life Protein Powder. No affiliation with the company. I just love the raw cacao flavor. Blend that up with tap water. Keep it simple. So you can see, you know, you can already hear there's there's a lot in that, um, and that's a really nice way. It's a makes about a pint, so I'll sip away at that throughout the morning. But a really nice part breakfast or holding breakfast, by which I mean something I can have before, you know, if I've got a couple of hours of something to do before I can have a bigger meal. It's a holding breakfast, but also a really nice way um, to get some of that stuff in. So I guess the takeaway message for me is, is consider a smoothie, consider drinking this stuff if you can, yeah. as well as, as thinking about adding it to the plate. Yeah, Leanne, that's a fantastic idea. Smoothies are, for all the reasons you've just given, really fantastic. You can tailor them to the flavors and the fruits and the vegetables that you specifically like. And they're great for people in a rush, you know, whether it's a business person running about, whether it's a teenager, they're really great. You can make them in a big, big batch and then freeze them uh, yeah. and defrost them on the day. So, yeah, that's a wonderful idea. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's talk about food and mood because the focus of this pod is nutrition for mood and energy. Yeah. Uh, I think perhaps people undervalue the relationship between food and mood. Tell us a bit about that. So there is a really strong link uh, with food and mood. It goes back a little bit to my analogy of putting the right fuel in your car. You know, if if your body doesn't have the right fuel, not only will it affect, you know, digestion and processes in the body, such as growing and 
detoxifying and all of those but also obviously your brain uh, uh, and your and your emotions um, will be affected because the brain requires a really steady supply of nutrients I think you know you will know Leanne being a very active sports person that if you don't eat for a few hours you know when you've been expending energy you can feel really dizzy you can get a sort of sugar low it becomes very obvious and it's more subtle than that as well for many people um for somebody running a marathon you know if you don't get the nutrition in you know you literally would come you'd hit a wall you'd come to a halt whereas a person just living a normal busy life whether it's a child at school or a mum running around all day or or or, or or a lady or a guy at work you 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 go through these moments where you feel tired you can feel a bit down and and very often without really realizing it it, it could be very much linked to the fact that you're not getting enough adequate nutrition. So it may be down to, to the macronutrients. It may be down to, for example, blood sugar, which I, I talk about with so many of my clients. If you have irregular or very up and down blood sugar, you, when the blood sugar is low, you will feel tired. And a lot of people, when they feel tired, they feel low because they don't have the energy to be able to do what they're doing. And then from a micronutrient point of view, the workings of our brain depend on a lot of vitamins and minerals to work properly for those pathways, the neurotransmitters, which transmit the electrical impulses in the brain. They rely enormously on B vitamins, on magnesium, on on all sorts of nutrients that we, we need to regularly consume because they're regularly being used up by our bodies. So that that is is just so important. Um, also, going back to the bacteria in our digestive system, a huge percentage of our serotonin production, and serotonin is a hormone which is produced in nerve cells in the brain, and also 70%, which is a huge amount, is actually produced in the gut. So there's a massive link between the gut and the brain. I think expressions that we have, like I felt sick to my stomach or I had butterflies in my stomach, mm. those expressions reveal to us that actually our emotions are not just in our head, but also in our digestive system. So keeping our digestion healthy not only furnishes us with the nutrients we use, but also keeps the gut bacteria healthy, which are important with our immune function and immune function and inflammation are also relevant to, to brain function. Um, there's a lot of thought that illnesses such as Alzheimer's um, and brain sort of degenerative diseases, not just mood and energy, but are influenced enormously by blood sugar levels, nutrient levels, levels of toxins that we might get from eating foods that contain preservatives and um, items that we don't want to be consuming. So the links, um, Leanne, are, are tremendous. You know, we need to think of our bodies as an enormous orchestra where every part is linked. You know, if the violin goes out of tune, then that will have an effect on the music. 
And um, our, our, our diet is just so important to, to emotion. And it makes me sad that I, I really believe that a lot of people will present to their GP with fatigue and depression, for example, and that the GP may then prescribe um, antidepressants or that kind of medication and overlook the fact that food may be a big factor in, in, mm-hmm. in the symptoms that are presenting. Not always all the factor, you know, there, there are with mood and energy, you know, life circumstances and psychological factors and events which will have an impact, of course. But I think that the, the nutrition and the feeding your body and your brain and your mind correctly often gets overlooked yeah. in modern medicine. And it's, um, I completely agree. And it's a relatively easy one to fix, relatively. Um, a, a couple of things, a couple of thoughts on that. I was, a few years ago, I was wearing a continual blood glucose monitor, which for anyone who doesn't know it, it's it's a little plastic device with a couple of tiny, tiny pins and you push that into the skin and it sits there and you wear it typically for two weeks or a month. And it records all your blood sugar fluctuations and it does fluctuate. That's a natural occurrence, but it shouldn't wildly fluctuate, should it? No. Um, and I wore it as an experiment to see what foods would cause the biggest spikes, what was happening when I was exercising, when I was waking up and trying to correlate a little bit to mood, just as an interesting experiment, N of one. And a few or well, a couple of things really stood out. One was that I ate in a normal fashion at the time, which is generally pretty good, but at the time... I might have a big bar of chocolate and do that in one. I might have a box of chocolate fingers. And I'm going to say there's less fingers in there than it appears to be on the box, but I might eat the whole thing. So one time I thought I, I, I ate them all. It, of course, it spiked my blood sugar quite a bit. No surprises there. Uh, a little while later, I had a, a few days later, I had a meal that had white rice. That shot my blood sugar right through the roof, way more than the chocolate fingers. Would probably surprise people. Now, you might have that meal and it has a very negligible effect on your blood sugar. So it's very variable as with everything in health. It's very personal. But that was very interesting. It didn't mean that carte blanche for your chocolate fingers and your Cadbury's, but don't, don't consume rice because there's a, a lot more nutritional value in rice than there is chocolate fingers. But interesting. Second observation was I was sat at my desk and I felt uncharacteristically low. And about a second or two after I had this real sort of, oh, do you know what? And I said something dramatic. I think we're just going to have to go and do that. Um, Two seconds later, my blood glucose monitor started binging at me to say your blood sugar is dropping and it's dropping fast. So I think there's a strong correlation there between that rapid drop in blood sugar and how the, the mood change it precipitated in me. So I'm not suggesting people go out and wear a blood glucose monitor at all, but it's just to highlight there is this really strong correlation. Um, We also know that many of us will deliberately be eating foods to change how we feel, to change our mood. And we'll probably think of it as a negative. And in some respects it is. Um, And that is that we're going to eat chocolate when we want to cheer ourselves up. The fact is that it kind of does. There's a psychological element, but there's also the dopaminergic element of these foods. There's teams of people in laboratories designing these foods to be as Moorish and as pleasure-giving as possible. So we're kind of up against it a little bit with that. But we perhaps underappreciate the value of other foods to have a positive effect on our mood in in a way that is generally more beneficial, more nutrient-dense. What are some of those foods, Maybe, maybe briefly two or three things that... Uh, food types or precursors to serotonin within foods that people can think about adding in. Yes. Okay. So, so um, 
serotonin is a, a really interesting neurotransmitter, the sort of happy hormone. Um, and there are various uh, foods that contain it in really good quantities. Uh, they're protein foods because tryptophan is actually an amino acid. It's a building block of protein. Um, so things such as um, chicken, uh, lean chicken breast, um, milk, um, dairy products such as cheese, also um, various things like peanuts, some of the nuts and seeds also contain really good levels of tryptophan. So I would suggest that, um, you know, each individual would sort of have a good look at a list of tryptophan foods, which is easy to find on Google, and then choose the ones you really like and, and really enjoy those. They're very good things to eat at night, for example, before you go to sleep, because having good levels of serotonin helps with the whole sleep cycle. Serotonin also goes into melatonin and melatonin is the sleep hormone. So, so they're all related. You can actually, for people who, who really um, are suffering sort of low mood and sleep issues, you can get a supplement, which is called 5-HTP, 5-hydroxytryptophan. And that can help people. some people. It depends, not sleeping so well and feeling low, can have lots of different root causes. But where the root cause is actually tied up with a low serotonin level, 5-HTP is a supplement, and eating the foods we just discussed can be really helpful. Mm. Um, just one quick thing about the white rice story you just told. Mm is that white rice doesn't actually contain very much nutrition. White rice, white flour, um, uh, yeah, everything made from white, rice, from white flour and white rice um, is lacking. Basically, the, 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 the grain has been processed in such a way as to remove most of the fiber and almost all of the nutrients. So if you have wholemeal flour, brown flour or brown rice, you will have fiber there and you will have nutrients such as chromium, for example, which is a, a micronutrient, a mineral, which is very important to the way we should process starch, which effectively is the carbohydrate in all grains. And that helps with the digestion of it. So with my clients, I always sort of plead with them, you know, you, you don't necessarily need to give up grains. Now, there are some people who believe that our ancestors who were hunter-gatherers did not grow grains, and advocates of a more paleo, paleolithic-type diet would say that the healthiest diet for human beings is one which is primarily not with grains, so not with wheat and, and a rice and um, barley and such things. Um, but a lot of people enjoy them. And if you do enjoy them, my word would always be sort of moderation. And also, if possible, to select brown, the whole grains, because then you do get nutrients from them. And you might have got less of a reading, um, hopefully, on your, on your blood um, glucose monitor if it had been mm. a complex carb um, than, a, than a, a refined carb. Mm. Is there any particular diet type that you personally follow or and, and recommend, or are you very much in favour of a personal diet for everybody? We all have different requirements, different energy requirements, different lifestyle yeah. patterns, and so on. Well, for sure, that there's the sort of metabolic differences between us that some of us will metabolise 
foods that we all metabolize, well, not every individual, but there will be sort of different types of metabolic types. I do believe that. So certain people may do very, very well, for example, on a vegetarian diet, they're adapted for that. Whereas other people, I remember one of my lecturers when I studied nutrition, he had become vegetarian and he became quite unwell. And he then started to eat a certain amount of uh, of meat again because he was he was doing a lot of exercise and things. So so there there will be those g- genetic sort of inherent traits which might make one diet better than another. Um, there's also the lifestyle stage you're at. So a young child who's growing and developing will have very different nutritional requirements to an elderly lady um, who's not very mobile. Um, who doesn't get out into the sun, so therefore needs vitamin D, to a person who is running a marathon or to a person who's expecting a baby. So those things have a big influence as well. Um, My overall sort of um, uh, feeling, heartfelt feeling, is that I, I look to my ancestors really and how they survived through thousands of years and what they ate to do that. And I just think, to have a diet that is as unprocessed as possible. So to have as much vegetable, particularly vegetables, there's a very nice food pyramid with, you know, the various food pyramids, but the one I really um, abide by is the, the bottom row of the pyramid, the most food group to consume is, is the, the, the plant group that we talked about earlier. Fruits mm-hmm. are more sugary. So fruit in moderation. Some fruits are low sugar, like the berries, the apples. Some fruits, like more tropical fruits, like bananas and um, mangoes and things are very high in fruit. So to go moderate um, on the high fruit ones, you see the tennis players sitting eating their bananas, which is a good clue to the fact that they're deriving quite a lot of instant energy from a banana. Mm. Um, And then um, higher up there, the, the, the nuts and the, and the seeds, I think, are, are, are a wonderfully nutritious um, uh, group. And the oils, the healthy oils that come from those, so your, your coconut oils, your avocado oils. Um, I personally am not fully vegetarian. I, I don't eat very much red meat at all, but I do enjoy eating fish. So you do need to have an adequate level of protein from somewhere. The nuts and seeds and fruit and vegetables do contain protein in smaller amounts. Very good sources of vegetarian or vegan protein would be pulses, beans, lentils. Also, um, things made from fermented, like tofu, fermented tofu can be very helpful and very uh, very much eaten in, in Asia. Um, fish is really very healthy. Our ancestors, I think there's a big theory that our ancestors developed bigger brains because they were living in parts of Africa where oily fish and shrimp and things were available and that helped the brain cells and things to to, to grow and evolve. And it is very important to get enough essential fatty acids, either from nuts and seeds or from oily fish. And uh, for vegans and vegetarians, I always recommend supplementing with essential fatty acids because it can be difficult for our bodies to um, upgrade them enough. um, they, They metabolize them 
and make them more complex. And some people's metabolism finds that difficult. And therefore, you can get vegan sourced omega-3 and omega-6, which doesn't need that processing, which sunflower oil, for example, uh, or, or um, uh, flax seed oil does need. Uh, the body has to act on that. And sometimes that doesn't happen so well. Yeah, that's um, an interesting one on the, the vegan element. I mean, I um, I would describe myself as an egg-eating vegan, which may sound a little odd, but as you know, we went pescatarian for animal welfare reasons, which quickly became vegetarian, which was the goal. Yeah. Um, then I discovered that actually the cause of a lot of phlegm and coughing and throat clearing, which is not great for a speaker and a podcaster, uh-huh. um, was actually caused by dairy. So I've cut successfully eliminated that, 98%, I'd say. Um, well, I do have it. It's a conscious choice and I take a, an enzyme pill. Um, but in and of itself, I think being, ve- and I'm very pro-vegan, um, but in and of itself, it is not necessarily a healthy move. I think some of the, um, there's a lot of desire to eat less meat now and more plants, uh, although they okay. are two separate things. Vegan in and of itself is not necessarily healthy. I think we have to go to quite a lot of lengths to make sure we are getting the proteins, the DHEA, uh, you know, which we typically get from fish, as you say, and some of the other important things. But let's just touch on that because I think a lot of people listening might be curious or at this time attempting to eat uh, what they might think to be a more animal welfare friendly, environmentally friendly diet, which is moving towards plant-based. You've mm-hmm. touched on some of it, but what are the other key things that they should, they should have in mind? to make that transition healthily. Uh, So so if you're going to a vegetarian or vegan diet, one needs to appreciate, um, first, the major food groups, that you you need to have enough carbohydrate, protein, and fat. Um, And the ones that are problematic, really, with vegetarian and vegan diets are protein and fat. So it's very important to... um, to look at that there's some really interesting food charts where you can see the exact content of the different foods and actually beans and pulses and things like tofu do contain very healthy levels of protein and so do nuts and seeds so it's being mindful of that and it, and, and eggs do as well and it's working out what amount of protein you really need uh, there's a simple equation of a percentage of body weight um, that you need to have um, to satisfy enough of protein level. And, and that percentage increases if you're a marathon runner and decreases if you're very sedentary. So the amount of protein you need does, does vary. But it's a, it's a very easy calculation. And then you can work out, looking at sort of some food percentage charts, um, how much protein is in each food. For example, in a steak, if you are a meat eater, it's not 100% protein. You know, there's water, a lot of water in there. There's fat in there. It's probably only about 40% protein. Mm. So it's just important to, to bear those things in mind and try and work out that you're getting enough protein. And also, as you just said earlier, Leanne, about the essential fats, they are quite abundant in nuts and seeds. Um, but they're harder for the body to use in that form. So I think supplementing them uh, if you don't eat any oily fish is is quite important. Yeah. What's that calculation? Let's let's take my body weight in kilos, which is 69. <laughs> okay, I'll just get out that, that calculation. Yep. So the calculation is, um, just finding my little sheet here so I get it absolutely correct. So... And the calculation is your weight in kilograms and you multiply that by a factor of either 0.8 through to 1.8. 
gram per kilogram. Okay, uh, so I'm 69 kilos and I'm going to divide so that by 0.18. Uh, no, sorry, 1.8. 1.8 grams times 69. So that's 124.2 grams of protein. So yeah. taking that, um, if it's helpful to listeners, this is how I, I try and do it. 50 grams of that comes from two scoops of Vivo Life Walk Cacao protein powder. Obviously, you could use any protein powder you liked. I then have three eggs a day, which is approximately, correct me if I'm wrong, 13 grams an egg, something like that. Yeah. So that's 39, roughly speaking. So added to the 50, that's 89. Our mindful chef evening meal is about 20. So now I'm on 109. Uh, I tend to have a kind bar around the office. That's about 10. So now I'm on 119. So I'm, I'm nearly there. Yeah. Lunch is often... A salad, or at the moment they're doing some Vietnamese vegan options downstairs. I won't bore people with the menu. But, you know, that that's basically getting me the extra five and so on. So that's how it's done. It's quite simple. If you know where the protein sources are going to come from and you've planned and prepared. And yeah. when we made the transition to plant-based, we had a consultation with you, at least one actually. Um, we we're really mindful of where, pun intended, because we did use Mindful Chef and still do. Again, no affiliation, but I definitely recommend them or a similar service. There are others. Um, and just learned about the protein content of the powder and the eggs and the, the bars and everything else. We also, though, if you're ready to move on, um, if not, we can finish any other points and move to this. We also did testing. Um, and I'm a big fan of testing because everything is very personal with health. So generic statements may help you, they may not. Um, I like to do some basic testing. I've done DNA testing, gut testing. I do a six monthly blood test. It was annual, but I moved it to six monthly, having gone plant-based to make sure that iron's okay, B12's okay, and some of those. Um, what are the basic tests as they relate to nutrition for mood and energy? or nutrition okay. that you so, would recommend? So if I can just go uh, uh, cycle back just two minutes because it relates of to course. the test. So yep. we talked about the macronutrient groups with going vegan or vegetarian. And also I just want to put a word in for the micronutrients in right. that yep. case and also those that are very important for, for the brain, for energy and, and uh, mood. So, um, you know, there, there are a myriad of micronutrients. They all work rather like the body, like an orchestra, they all interact with each other. So if one goes out of kilter, it can have a knock-on effect on another. And, and there are many of them, and, and, and I'm sure our audience will have, will have heard of them being discussed, you know, from the omega-3 fatty acids through to um, the vitamins. So vitamin C is, is very crucial for immune system, for, for detoxification. Vitamin D, which is very difficult for us to get in this climate, has a very significant effect on mood. There's a lot of research about vitamin D and mood. And my GP did a, a blood test um, project and she said that every single person who walked through her door for six months was deficient in the UK. But that's, some, that's something that which we really, really need to supplement because it's nigh impossible to get enough from food, whether you're vegetarian or vegan or, or not vegetarian or vegan. Um, the, the B vitamins are very, very important for mood, for energy particularly. Uh, they're all found in all that good plant food uh, in abundance. They are water-soluble, so you need to be consuming them all the time because they're not stored by the body. Vitamin A and D and E and K are stored. So, for example, you could have quite a good amount of vitamin D from being in the sun in the summer. 
and your liver will store it. So you will have reserves for a short while, but with vitamin B, you don't. So you need to be getting that from really great food sources. Um, there are, um, there are uh, also minerals like iodine, which really comes from seafood, from the sea. So if you're not eating seafood or any fish, iodine is a factor. Iodine is important for thyroid function. Thyroid function is important in the metabolism and metabolism has a knock-on effect with sleep. So I think you can see that one thing sort of affects the other. So all these um, vitamins and minerals, we really need them, not just in the recommended daily allowance figures, because those figures are the figures whereby if the, if the, if the, our, the recommended daily allowance of vitamin C is, let's say, 100 milligrams a day that's the level at which if you don't have that much you get scurvy and you get very sick so actually we want to look at something called optimal daily allowances preferably um, because those are the ones that you need to work for your body to work well not the minimum level before you're sick so getting abundant amounts of these um, nutrients is really important and vegetarians and vegans are in a good place with a lot of these because they're very abundant in fruit and vegetables and nuts and seeds so actually um, there's research showing that a vegetarian vegan diet can be very healthy but there are certain nutrients that are just not available in plant foods and these include vitamin d well there's very small amounts in oily fish but vitamin d Iodine is, is problematic. Um, uh, iron can be very problematic because although there is iron in things like spinach, the body finds it much harder to absorb iron from a vegetable source and iron from uh, a, a, an animal meat source. Um, the, omega, uh, the omega things we talked about. Another very important thing which isn't often included in that list is something called choline. Choline is very important to do with mind and emotion and neurotransmitters. And choline, um, you can get it uh, from um, something called lecithin powder, uh, phosphatidylcholine. It's just a very important constituent of nerve and brain tissue. Um, tryptophan, which we talked about earlier, uh, is an amino acid and um, needs to be available. So, you, so one just needs to have this this mindset, um, Leanne. And, and going back then to your to your question about testing, of course, testing is a really really good way to make sure that we have enough of what we need because otherwise we're sort of sailing blind. Really, we don't really know. I mean, if you get, I mean, when people come into my practice. If they say to me, "Oh, I get colds all the time. I've had COVID. I've had somebody had to, I have had COVID five times." So mm. you're thinking, you're thinking, okay, <laughs> you know, there's an immune issue there, and I can make certain deductions from that immune, the state of your immune system. That those immune, those micronutrients that are very important with, um, with immune system like vitamin C and zinc, um, and vitamin D. I would be looking to those and some people don't want to test. And so you can really advise them to eat more foods that would be beneficial and to take some supplements. And, and very often in my practice, that is the answer. That is the key that unlocks the lock. And that person will come back in six months and say, Oh, I've just had one cold and it lasted one day. And it's just amazing. So, you know, that's what I love with my work. But if people are really interested in 
the science and, and keen to test or, or not shifting certain symptoms just through um, eating well and nutrition, then I, I think these, these tests are really good. And mm. um, the DNA tests are, are, are super interesting because they can reveal how, where our genes are not working so well. And so if I know that my genes, which allow me to manufacture vitamin D, for example, in my skin are not, not working so well, I can actually compensate from that by, by taking a supplement or by modifying my diet. There's a, there's a, lot, a lot of people have what we call a SNP, which is a sort of a point where the gene pathway is not working so well. For example... For methylation, which is a process in the body, which is very, very important. And if you know that you have that methylation SNP, then you can take B vitamins in more abundance and you can sort of make up for it. It's like taking a different route on your sat-nav. You can get to the same healthy point, but you can circumnavigate something that may not be working as optimally in the body. So DNA testing is super interesting. And it has become, you know, such a bigger, more major point part of, of functional medicine assessments. It's really interesting. Um, general blood tests, um, you know, even the ones that the GP can provide are very helpful. They will test for quite a few things, including vitamin D, if you ask, uh, vitamin B12, blood sugar levels as well. They do a very interesting measurement called HbA1c, and this measures the condition of the protein in your red blood cells. And if your blood sugar is elevated on an ongoing level, an ongoing moment, not just a spike because you've eaten four Mars bars one afternoon, but you know a daily um, high elevated blood level, it will damage the protein in the red blood cells. And that's what the HbA1c measures. So it's a very good... And, and our red blood cells live about 12 weeks. So it's a very good picture of how your blood sugar regulation is working. So that's very good. And I, I think uh, we can ask Leanne to say more, but I think some of the, uh, uh, some of the blood tests I um, work with privately commissioned ones can be even more thorough and can look at, you know, many, many different levels of, of, of nutrients and markers in the blood, which can be super helpful. Um, the gut type testing is, is very interesting. And if people are presenting with um, digestive sort of issues, um, symptoms, uh, those can be really helpful because not only do they analyze um, they, an, they analyze the sort of profile of your gut microbiome, which is very, very interesting. So some people can discover that they have um, a pathogen, and that means a, a not beneficial bacteria or parasite present. And, you know, you don't want to have those really on an ongoing basis in your mm. gut. You can pick them up through contaminated foods. Often travel to hot countries can be a factor. Um, but it profiles also the beneficial bacteria and the levels and whether you could do with boosting those. Most of these tests also look at inflammation markers in the gut, uh, which can be very um, indicative of, of any um, you know, problems. You, again, you don't want to have inflammation in your gut. 
Um, and they will look at enzyme levels and things like that. And that will often explain why people find it difficult to digest certain foods. And, and sometimes there's a condition called leaky gut when the gut wall becomes permeable. And when that happens, that can set up a lot of allergy conditions and autoimmune conditions because our immune system becomes activated because something has passed from the gut into the blood, which shouldn't be there because the gut wall is compromised. And those things can be picked up as well on on gut um, tests, which are very interesting. And it's not a sort of you know, incurable situation. One can heal the gut in various ways by either removing the parasites or the bacteria or removing a food that's causing a lot of irritation. The gut can heal and then the, the immune system activation over time goes away. And those, those allergies and those food sensitivities, they may then, you know, be, be reduced or, or mm. go away completely. I think what, what I'd like to do is probably do a, a part two of this at some point in the second mm. season because the gut health, I mean, we've scraped the surface and so we opened Pandora's box yeah. and now we're going to bow out. And I, it, this, it, it is so much more we could say about that. But okay, um, I think we're going to have to bring it to a conclusion. But I want to say thank you, first of all, for sharing your expertise and your insight. It's been much appreciated and really interesting. Um, and that brings us to the conclusion of season one of the Agile Business Athlete podcast as well. So hopefully we've gone out on a bang and left you with much to think about in terms of nutrition for mood and energy. I think there's two key messages I'd like to leave listeners with. And one is that it's about preventative health. What proactive steps can you do to try and stay well? There's a focus on repairing disease and, and, uh, and illnesses, but actually the really positive focus is on what you can do to try and stay away from the doctor, stay away from your functional medicine practitioner with the utmost respect. Um, you know, so that you are well, you're vibrant, you're energetic. And ultimately, it's about health span, not lifespan. I personally don't want to live to 95 if the last 20 years I've had to be assisted in all the basic functions of living. I want to be as energetic, vibrant, useful to, to my communities for as long as I possibly can. So I take a preventative health approach. But I also take a relatively light level approach because I don't want to get too caught up in worrying about the content of things in foods and never having this and always having that. So um, I guess the message is figure out what works for you. Start making some tweaks to your diet today in a positive sense. Um, I love the idea that the body is an orchestra. So what little change can you make to the string section? What little change can you make to the uh, I don't know if it's called the drumming section or the uh, the <laughs> reggae. section, the reggae happy section, <laughs> indeed, whatever that may be. But hopefully, that's given uh, you, the listener, much to think about. So once again, thanks very much, Alex. Thanks to you guys for listening, and we'll see you on the second season. Thank you, Leanne, for having me today. Want more? Take our Wellbeing at Work company scorecard and get a free personalized report full of actionable insights. Or if you're interested in finding out what your health IQ is, take our health IQ scorecard. Links can be found in the show notes. And finally, if you've enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you.